Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this evening? Doing all right, man. Um, just uh, last day here in Omaha, finishing up work. I've been here for about two weeks, so tried to uh, watch as much college football as I could over the last uh, 24 hours here, um, but, you know, uh, and uh, it was... Um, mostly low lows, but you know, some interesting stuff happened. So we're looking forward to breaking them down. Yes, it was certainly interesting. <laughs> Let's go with that. Sure. It's a good neutral word. Um, as we as we go into this podcast. Yeah. And I wanted to let people know um, that we will be putting out the review pods on Monday nights because of my work schedule. It's going to just uh, it's going to unfortunately conflict with that. So but we'll get them out to you. Yes, exactly. All right, John, is there anything you else want you want to say or should we jump right into these games? Yeah, just one. Well, as always, we'll touch on, you know, if you want to find us, you can find us here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. Um, also on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat. And you can also email us, we live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Should we get right into it? Let's do it. All right. All of these games were played yesterday, November 11th. So here is your review. First up, we had a big game. It was Michigan Wolverines 24, the Penn State Nittany Lions 15. Total yards, Michigan had 287 to Penn State's 238. So it was a defensive ball game with neither team reaching 300 yards from scrimmage. Uh, both teams ran the ball with some success. Neither was able to throw for much yardage. In Michigan's case, the Wolverines didn't even try to throw the ball. They had just eight passing attempts to go with 46 rushing attempts. At one point in the second half, Michigan went, I think, something like 20 or 25 plays or something like that without passing the ball. It was Isn't it was that? pretty wild. Yeah. Um. It was a strange strategy given how well J.J. McCarthy is playing and was playing. Um, My thought is that Michigan realized they weren't going to be able to contain that elite Penn State pass rush very well and decided their biggest advantage was in the running game. So Michigan won the game, I would say, in a more convincing fashion than the score suggests. Um, So clearly it was the correct strategy for that game because it worked really well. That's not going to work against Ohio State, though, for what it's worth. You're not going to beat the Buckeyes running the ball 85% of the time. I don't think Michigan's going to have to be more balanced the next time they play an elite team. But Michigan QB J.J. McCarthy has the oddest stat line as he was 7 for 8 for 60 yards on 7.5 yards per attempt. His QBR was 96.2. So McCarthy played well, but the staff chose to take the ball out of his hands for most of the second half. Running back Blake Corum had a big day for Michigan with 145 yards rushing on 5.6 yards per rush and two TDs. That is an impressive performance, John. Mm-hmm. We've wanted to see Blake Corum break out more often. He came up big uh, against Penn State when it mattered the most. Absolutely. Wide receiver Cornelius Johnson and tight end Colston Loveland each had two catches for this run-heavy Wolverines offense. And defensive end Jalen Harrell contributed five tackles and a sack for this impressive Michigan defensive front. For Penn State, Drew Aller was just 10 of 22 for 70 yards on a paltry 3.2 yards per attempt, one TD, zero picks, and one costly fumble that he wishes he had back. Aller did chip in 49 yards on 10 carries, so he helped a bit in the running game, which was good to see. And tight end Tyler Warren and wide receiver Dante Cephas each had two grabs for this Penn State offense. Uh, Penn State running back Katron Allen had 72 yards and six yards per rush. So a decent day for him. John, what did you think about this game? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was a really it was an exciting game, I think, for a while um, early on in the, uh, the first half. It didn't look like you know anybody was willing to give. Um, but what I saw and noticed, you know, was that both defenses you know, were absolutely elite. I'd say even, you know, even though I know Michigan was able to pull away, um, Penn State's defense was also just playing lights out pretty, you know, or was playing very well throughout. And I also wasn't expecting uh, Michigan to take the ball out of McCarthy's hands uh, as much as they did. 
Um, you know, he that was truly wild. It was. Yeah, it was crazy. And I and it was I'm not sure, you know, obviously the strategy worked, um, you know, but yeah, like you said, I don't know if that's going to be a uh, long term solution, especially moving into the college football playoff. And obviously, again, even you know, before that, Ohio State. Um, <clears throat> but again, what we saw, too, with McCarthy is he doesn't always have to throw the ball either. He can he's deceptively fast. He can move yeah. with his legs. Um, and they got Edwards into the game too, which I was really, that's another player that we were waiting to see to get more involved. And they got him involved in the screen game and to a, a lot of success. And he was also running the ball pretty well. Yep. And what I'm so impressed with, with Corum is his ability to just sneak through the tightest of spaces. I know he's a smaller guy, but like, damn dude, it's crazy that one of those, one of the touchdowns he, that he scored, I just, I didn't, there was zero space there, but he found just the tiniest little hole and got in there without a problem. So yeah, his vision is crazy. Oh, absolutely, man. He finds that hole wherever it is, no matter how small it may be. And, and he gets in there. So he's, he's fantastic. He's so much fun to watch, but yeah. And then like the second half, dude, like, <laughs> I was just amazed at just like the constant calls of run plays. I was, I thought we were, you know, we were watching a big 10 West team go up against Penn state for a while, just with big more 10 success. West. I thought we were watching Woody and Bo. <laughs> like this was some old stuff. It was old school. We were, yeah. It was old school <laughs> grinding that I thought we, that we were watching. Yeah, that's true, man. Yeah. And but defensively Michigan, you know, they just, they weren't able to, they weren't giving up anything downfield. Aller was, no. you know, he was able to dink and dunk and find some success on the short yardage, pa- short yardage passage. But um, overall, I, they just couldn't get, get away with anything downfield. It was just, it was kind of, you could see him struggling and you knew he wanted to, he wanted to make more happen, but it just, it was tough, dude. Um, the coverage was just amazing from what I could see. And, but, you know, Penn State, <clears throat> You know, they were able to run the ball. Aller ran the ball a ton, uh, probably more than he mm-hmm. wanted to. Um, he had to make, you know, imp- improvise with his legs throughout. Uh, <clears throat> um, and but like there was also plenty of times that I saw the Aller. He just looked a little inaccurate. His receivers were dropping balls. But then again, you're facing this Michigan defense. I mean, I, it's it just seems to be the norm whenever whoever's playing them. Um, but yeah, and they ran the ball, they ran the ball pretty well. They found some success, but I think they went away from it a little too much at times. And defensively, it looked like they were all over McCarthy pretty early in the game. Um, and like I said, they, they looked pretty good overall. It's just, it's tough against this Michigan team, man. It's really, really tough once you, especially once you get well into the third quarter to, to be able to sustain yourself. And especially if your offense isn't helping you as much as it needs to. Yeah, and part of that, I felt like the decision-making, James Franklin's, it's always a little head-scratching for me, the how he makes decisions in big games like this. I would have liked to see Katron Allen get more than 12 carries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nick Singleton just isn't as effective as Allen is. The stats bear that out every week, yet Singleton yeah. had one more carry than Allen did. Like, how does that even happen? I don't know. I, I He, I agree. I've seen him have more success, but I... I don't know what it is, why they, they think maybe because Singleton is sing, I mean, I'm not sure, but is Singleton, he's like the bigger back. Is he more of like the power runner? Like, cause they keep wanting to run up the middle against this Michigan defense is what I noticed. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what the physical breakdown yeah. of those two guys, what they look like side by side, which if one is, you know, significantly bigger than the other, he but, looks bigger to me, but maybe. Yeah. I'm yeah, but I just I feel like you're got to go in a big game. I feel like you your best players need to get efficient touches. Yeah. You know, and it just seems like Allen could have had 20 plus carries himself and had given a lot fewer to Singleton. And it's just stuff like that that makes me question James Franklin's in-game decision making. Well, that in, I mean, I think the news came out today and I'm, I don't know if I can like officially, officially confirm, but I think it's widely known. At least I saw it on Twitter that, uh, Franklin fired his OC. Yeah. So you're right? Yep. But again, and that was a big coup for him when he hired him. That was a big hire for him. So yeah. for him to say it's not working out is kind of surprising. But like also again, we've, we're seeing a head coach here who, has had these issues in the past consistently of these game management issues. And 
the OC gets gets fired, but you still see it happening again the next season or the or the yeah. two seasons ago, you know, next or whatever. And so it makes you wonder, you know, is it really the OC or is it Franklin? These head coaches exert a lot of influence, some of them, especially in big moments in games. And so, you know, fans always want to get rid of the play caller and get a new one, but it's like you're still going to have the same head coach. Are you still going to have the same philosophy, philosophical strengths and flaws in your play calling because of that? Yep. Um, yeah. Another thing I'll say in this game, John, I'd say bad Manny Diaz reared his ugly head in the first half of this game again. Mm-hmm. Manny Diaz and Penn State were bringing a ton of unbalanced pressure in this game. And the result is that Penn State was out of position and they weren't setting edges in the running game. Yeah. I was screaming at my TV, stop crashing and set an edge. Mm-hmm. And Michigan was just gashing Penn State in the run game, in part due to Penn State's overly aggressive tactics. And it helped Michigan get out to an early 14-3 lead, which set the table for the whole game. Yeah. You can't co- you can't go down by that many points against Michigan and expect to somehow crawl back and be able to win this game. It's just not possible against this team. For most, um, at least not 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 a team we've seen yet be able to do that. So, but yeah, man, dude, Manny Diaz, man, I don't. Some most of the time it's really good, but when it's bad, man, it's bad. Yeah, well, you were all out high on him, I think, a, a couple weeks ago. So. I was, I was, up, <laughs> I was, forg- I was apologizing for criticizing him before. Yeah, but I think he, I think he legit deserves deserve some criticism coming out of this game. This game for sure, I agree. Yeah. Um. Aller was inaccurate early and he just wasn't accurate enough, period. Yeah. I think like you said, he didn't. It's not that he had a bunch of receivers running wide open, but 10 for 22 just isn't good enough in a big game. He looked out of sync, man. He really did. And and he, and he was he was throwing a lot behind his receivers. And again, not that they were very open, but it, it was just uh, he didn't look like himself. But like we've talked about. When you've got that Michigan Michigan pass rush pass rush coming at you, yeah, it's got to, it's just tough, dude. It is really tough. So, yeah, James Franklin once again drops a big game between two highly ranked teams. That has been a pattern in state college, John. Mm-hmm. We've been on the right end of that one before. Um, yeah. how much blame do you assign to Franklin for his subpar record, and how much do you think this Michigan team is just that? I mean, I'm torn because this Michigan team is that is that good. But James Franklin has got to find a way to win to win some of these games. And he just isn't doing it. Yeah, I agree. You know, for for a fan base and for a program that holds itself in such high esteem that that really thinks it should be competing with the Michigans and the Ohio States, which like they are in a lot of ways, but they're not getting he's not getting them over the mountaintop and he hasn't really done it yet. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess he, he, to me, I think Franklin definitely has to take some of the blame. I, but also, yeah, I mean, this Michigan team could very well win a national title. So it's, it's really hard to say, but I, after, at this point, I think, um, just over the years, Franklin has definitely earned the criticism he's getting at this point for what the expectations are in state college. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that is, I, I agree with you. I just think that at a certain point, he's got a breakthrough. Um, but I mean, he's still doing a really good job. And Absolutely. Penn State is still having a really great year. So I'm not, you know, we're not here to bury James Franklin or anything. We just want to see him perform a little better and come a little closer to winning some of these bigger games. Absolutely. At least be, you know, be one of Michigan or Ohio State consistently, you know, one or the other. Or just once in a while. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, at this point, because it's been because it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. With the win, Michigan goes to ten and zero. With the loss, Penn State drops to eight and two. All right. Next up, we have a wild game. We had Illinois forty-eight, Indiana forty-five. Total yards: Illinois had six hundred and sixty-two. To Indiana's 451. 
So this was quite a shootout on both sides with big offensive stats. Both teams lit it up through the air and also ran the ball somewhat effectively. For Illinois QB John Paddock, it was an unbelievable day, going 24 for 36 for a 507 yards, 14.1 yards per attempt, four TDs, one interception, a QBR of 81.8. So a monster day from the backup QB. Um, running back Reggie Love had a big game with 140 yards rushing on 5.8 yards per rush and two TDs. And Isaiah Williams once again stole the show with nine catches for 200 yards, an absurd 22.2 yards per catch and two TDs. What an incredible day for Isaiah Williams. Would be remiss not to mention Pat Bryant, who had 131 yards receiving on just five catches and a TD. And also Casey Washington, who had five catches for 99 yards and a TD. So the top three receiving options for the Illini contributed in a big way and deserve a ton of credit, as does the QB paddock. On D... DB Xavier Scott had nine tackles and two passes defended, so good day for him. For IU, Brendan Soresby was pretty good. He was 22 for 33, 289 yards, 8.8 yards per attempt, three TDs, and one pick. He also added 53 yards rushing, so a pretty huge game for Soresby outside of the pick, which was bad. Um, Trent Howland had 72 yards in the running game on 5.5 yards per rush, and that was a big boost to IU's attack yesterday. Um, can they continue to get that out of Howland is a question I'll have coming out of this game because having a running game really boosted IU offensively and it made the passing game a lot easier. And then for IU, Donovan McCauley was the star with 11 catches for 137 yards, 12.5 yards per catch, two TDs. The way McCauley has grown into his role at receiver is inspiring, John. This is a guy who played QB in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. So switching positions, thriving the way he is now, Got to give McCauley all the credit in the world. For sure. Uh, yeah. Dequeese Carter also chipped in three grabs for 55 yards. Um, John, what'd you think of this game? This was a fun one, man. Um, <clears throat> just the back and forth. You know, it, at first, <clears throat> it looked like Indiana was going to run away with this. And then Paddock does what he he looks like he's just going to consistently do. I mean, the guy looks like a freaking he looks like a starter, dude. I, I honestly he's impre- he's impressed me more in the last you know game and two minutes, um, you know, because <laughs> of what he did in Minnesota. Um, he just keeps yeah. coming out there and playing loose, and he looks fantastic. Uh, and <clears throat> you know, he made a couple of mistakes here and there. I know he he had a pretty bad. Uh, interception um that you know could have really hurt them but i but illinois defense you know they played well they were able to you know to to do just enough and obviously having johnny newton on the field throughout the whole game um really 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 makes a difference boy he's tough oh yeah and he's tough man he's so good and like we talked about like we've said before he's just he's a total difference maker so but yeah, I my only issue that was just like seeing I wanted to see more of the balanced running game um, with with Illinois. And again, I'm, I'm just splitting hairs here because Paddock just played so well. And so did Williams. I mean, it was it was just easy for him to go up and down the field more often than not. Yeah. And with Indiana, you know, again, here's another guy, <clears throat> Soresby, who really looks like a Big Ten quarterback. Yeah, he's he is he's makes great decisions. He's accurate. He knows when to run the ball. He's a smart player. And McCulley, absolutely, dude, like was just playing out of his mind too throughout. And he's just continued to look better. And Orsby in the last month has really grown into himself as a player. Absolutely. And he's so tough, too, man. Like he really takes off and runs and he and he gives it his all. And I'm just really I'm really impressed by him a lot. And. But it just fell apart for him, you know, um, like both O-lines. I think I, I want to say both uh, Indiana and Illinois, their offensive line play was really, really well, especially in the past pro. I thought they both did very well there. Even in, even with Johnny Newton, I thought Indiana's offensive line did pretty good. I know that he got through a few times, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, and but their defense, it just Indiana's defense just was getting beat one on one all day. And it was not what I think we've been seeing recently so i was a little surprised by that no it was a total collapse defensively yeah i mean to give up 500 yards passing that's just and only on 36 attempts that's not a ton of attempts to rack up 500 yards yeah 
You know, when you're at 14.1 yards per attempt, that's that's inexcusable. That's guys just running wide open. That's blown coverages left and right. Um, I mean, an, an announcer at one point in this game, I'm not sure, I forget which one, called it the worst tackling he's ever seen. Oh. He said, nobody's covering anybody, and this is the worst tackling I've ever seen. And it was. It was egregiously bad for both teams. So uh, the defenses just did not show up ready to play at the level these offenses were playing at. Yeah. Um, and yeah, John, that was a big, that was a big thing in this game. It's so, it's always interesting that that happens when one side of the ball just doesn't show up for either side and you're like, all right, here's a shootout. Here we yep. go. Strap in. Yeah. But that's a problem. That's a problem. You can't give up six. I mean, getting, to- getting towards six, you know, over 650 yards. That's. That's rough for IU to do that. That's a total yeah. collapse. And Tom Allen prides himself as a defensive guy. So it's got to be especially frustrating for him. Um, well, they've looked so much better prior to that game. It was just, you know, one of those games where they, it just, they didn't, they didn't show up. Yeah. Tom Allen said, quote, what a tough way to lose. I'm shocked they were able to pass so well against us. We prepared for both quarterbacks. The problem was we didn't put any pressure on on Paddock, and he had a career day. Yeah. And I think he's right. They didn't put any pressure on him. And, you know, these guys, these quarterbacks are all talented. I know you think your quarterback's bad. Every team, you know, you cheer if you're a fan cheering for a team, you probably think your quarterback isn't very good. But these guys, if you give them time and let them just throw, most of these guys can do a lot of damage. Yep. Well, that's that's what we saw in this game, especially in that first half. Both offensive lines were playing really well with the in the pass protection, and and both quarterbacks looked very very good. Yeah, for sure. I thought John, that's probably the best Indiana's run the ball all year. Yeah, I it would... really it really helped them early in the game to get some points, establish themselves as a dual threat offense, which they haven't been for long portions of the year because the run game hasn't worked. Um, so it, I thought, especially in the first half, that was really good for them. Yeah, man, I was really impressed too. I wasn't expecting to see that, especially against Illinois defensive line, they finding as much success as they were. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like they were just sneaking things through. Like they were open up holes. Like there was, there was big holes for the, for their running back to get through. And he was, and he was also making great, you know, yardage after contact dude. And, mm-hmm. um, it was not the Indiana run game we've been seeing thus far. So this no, was a was whole good. new thing. I wonder if, you know, I, man, you hire Bob Bostad as your offensive line coach because you think that you're eventually going to be able to get some yards in the run game. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe Indiana is starting to get to a point where they can get some yards in the run game. So anyway, that's exciting. Absolutely. That is exciting for them, especially against, like you said, against a good Illinois front. Is Paddock the new starter at QB for Illinois after how well he's played? Like, do you have to go ride with him over Luke Altmaier at this point? I, I think you have to. Like, right? It, I mean, he's he I know he's made a couple of mistakes, but like it's just nothing consistently as egregious as what we've seen Altmaier do. I think he takes care of the ball a little bit better. I think he's just he looks more calm in the pocket. He throws um, just dots. He's oh so my accurate. God. He's so accurate, dude. I mean, it's it's terrifying what he can do and how he can he can just pick apart a deep a, a secondary. And I'm just like, I don't. Yeah, I, I and, and I you know what? I forgot Minnesota played um ball state and i and they think they didn't we play or didn't minnesota play against paddock oh did we did they i think they did okay i, I i'm like i, I thought that. i've seen I him play you. before and he looked great against minnesota too you know it, the our defense was better but still he looked fantastic so i'm glad he's he's getting the attention and he's getting to play at the big 10 level he's he looks fantastic man yeah no, I I agree. So it'll be interesting to see if he restarts for the remainder of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, with the wind, Illinois goes to five and five, and with the loss, Indiana drops to three and seven. All right. Next up, we had sort of a wild, tense game. We had Maryland thirteen, Nebraska ten. Total yards, Maryland had 384 to Nebraska's 269. So Maryland significantly outgained Nebraska in this game. Um, But it was a tale of two teams in that Maryland threw the ball and Nebraska ran the ball. 
because Nebraska managed just 86 yards passing and Maryland just 101 yards rushing. Leah Tugavailoa had for Maryland had 283 yards passing on 7.1 yards per attempt, one TD and one pick for a QBR of 79.6. Leah also chipped in 27 rushing yards. Uh, Roman Henby had a good had an okay day on the ground anyway with 74 yards on 4.6 yards per rush. Uh, Jay Sean Jones, Ty Felton, Corey Deitches all had five catches apiece, while Caden Prather had four grabs. So everybody got involved among Maryland's starting pass catchers. So you have to give Leah credit for spreading the ball around and you know keeping that Nebraska defense off balance a little bit. Uh, John, Nebraska played three quarterbacks in this game, and none of them fared all that well. <laughs> nope. Jeff Sims was eight for 13 for 62 yards on 4.8 yards per attempt, zero TDs, two picks. And a lost fumble. So Jeff Sims finally gets back into a game, promptly turns it over three times. Mm-hmm. It's wild putting him out there knowing how turnover prone he is. But the problem is that Harburg has been pretty turnover prone too. In fact, he threw a pick on one of his five passes. Yep. And then Chuba Purdy got into the game and he threw a pick on one of his three passes. So no QB on Nebraska can take care of the ball. It is wild how hamstrung they are by that. Yeah, it's so nuts, dude. I, I, well, and, and, and yes, like Nebraska was by far like the, the, the worst perpetrator during this game, but even Maryland, man, like there were, there were turnovers all over yep. the place, fumbled yep, interceptions. Right. I was like, what is going on here? This is like each team, just each offense just did not seem to not want to win the game. It was crazy. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, Emmett Johnson had a nice day with 84 yards on 4.9 yards per rush. Uh, Billy Kemp and Joshua Fleeks each had two catches for Nebraska, who managed just 86 yards passing with four picks. Yikes. John, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, aside from the insane amount of turnovers, um, you know, Maryland was overall, I think they were trying to do and they were able to do mostly of what they wanted to accomplish as far as how they st- how they played the game. They really they still were able to throw the ball fairly well. Um, they had some beautiful plays, great, you know, great explosive plays down the field. Uh, you know, just amazing pass to Felton that set them up for a TD on the next play with uh, with well, also to Felton um, at the end of the half. But it was, uh, I didn't see a lot from the run game from either team. Um, it been yeah. both teams had issues once they got into the red zone. And it was just, it was kind of bizarre, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess a testament to both defense, uh, both defenses. Um, I guess, you know, from what I could see from Maryland, it looked like they were, you know, they had solid, solid coverage most of the game. They were able to key in on the run. And I understand that, you know, Nebraska doesn't really throw the ball that well anyways, obviously. Um, but they looked pretty solid and I was, I was impressed. Yeah. And they were also getting their defensive line was able to get some penetration in the backfield. And Talia was able to do what he does um, enough to win the game. But even he, you know, was getting thrown off, <clears throat> thrown off his game um, quite often. And that's, you know, all due to this Nebraska defense, which is also pretty darn good. And they looked solid, you know, and unfortunately, it's just as been the story with Nebraska all season. Their defense plays pretty darn well and keeps them in games, but their offense just cannot get it together. Now, what I'll say the bright spot for Nebraska's offense is Emmett Johnson. He yeah. looked great. That guy is shifty as hell. He is fast. He is quick. I mean, he he's the is real deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the real deal. And when he got the ball in his hands, he really made something with it. And so I guess I wanted to see more of that, but I know it's hard to just continuously run, you know, rely on the running game if you can't throw the ball at all. And especially, and again, if you continue to turn it over, I mean, there's nothing you can do. So, yeah, I feel bad for the Nebraska defense. It's it's rough, man. Yeah. I I don't understand why can't anybody on Nebraska hold on to the ball because we're at a crazy level of turnovers. It's almost become like, it's like psychological, like there's a, they've got a psychological block with it. Yeah. And like team wide, it doesn't matter who has the ball anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a it's big, crazy. Pro- yeah, it's a big problem. It's definitely a disservice to that defense that's playing really hard. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I don't know how, who Nebraska even plays at QB going forward. Somebody has to take the reps and take the starter starting reps and be the main quarterback. But I don't know how you decide who that's going to be. Well, I think, you know, Harburg went down with an injury, and that's why Sims came into the game in the first place. Now, yeah. how hurt is he? Will he be out for next week's game? Um, you know, I I guess, like, for me, I would just, I would go to Purdy. I mean, which is, I mean, I don't think there's, there's not a great option, yeah. no matter where you look, but, like, at least, you know what you're going to get with Sims. Yes. And... And that's just a liability where with Purdy, you know, I think, you know, last year he showed some flashes here and there. And even during this game, yes, I know he threw the pick, but he he looked a little bit more reliable. Like, I, And so I guess if you want to go with a safer pick. We're grasping at straws here, John. I know. That's what I'm trying. <laughs> I, I am absolutely grasping at straws here. I feel, I guess the way I, say, I want to say is I just feel slightly better about Purdy than I do about. Man, so. I don't. I don't. If Harburg's out, I I don't I don't I just I don't know. I you gotta maybe Matt Rule straps it up and sneaks out there, <laughs> takes some rep, see see if anybody notices. Maybe he's got a, maybe he's got a year of eligibility left. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't feel good about anybody, honestly. But this is a big win for Mike Loxley in Maryland. Yeah, a big win. They had the second half slide. You're wondering, are they going to miss a bowl game yet again? Um, but they did not. They got the job done. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big win. And they were able to overcome a lot of that adversity and those mistakes. And they didn't totally fall apart when they could have. Um, and so I'm. We'll, we'll see if they can carry on that momentum moving forward. Uh, I mean, yeah. I guess probably not next week, but, you know. Maybe not next week. They can play hard. <laughs> Yes, you can play hard next week against Michigan. So with the win, Maryland goes to six and four. And with the loss, Nebraska drops to five and five. Next up, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes 22, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights zero. Total yards, Iowa had 402 yards to Rutgers 127. So total dominance by Iowa on both sides of the ball. Rutgers was unable to run the ball. And John, when Rutgers is unable to run the ball, the Scarlet Knights offense just doesn't work. Rutgers had seven penalties also, while Iowa had zero. So that was a big advantage for Iowa too. Uh, Rutgers' Gavin Wimsat was just seven for 18 for 93 yards, 5.2 yards per attempt and a pick. Kyle Manungai was shut down with just 39 yards on three yards per rush. There were no holes for him to run through against this tough Iowa front. Um, Ian Strong had three catches for 47 yards and Christian Dremel had two for 27. But outside of that, the Rutgers passing game had zero success, essentially. Um, For Iowa, Deacon Hill had his best game as a Hawkeye, going 20 for 31 for 223 yards on 7.2 yards per attempt. One TD and one pick. Uh, LaShawn Williams, Caleb Johnson, Jay pa- Jazz Patterson all had just over 50 yards. So it was running back by committee for Iowa. Hill hit a number of targets, including Ortworth, Ragaini, and Estranga. Um, for Iowa, DB Quinn Schulte had an interception return for 39 yards. So good day for him. John, what would you think about this game? Uh, this was Iowa winning in a way that I have not seen. I'll, I'll no, see right. I was, who is this team? Uh, what, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> like the, the second half anyways, I mean, they, they, all of a sudden there, you have a passing game. What? Yeah. Like you're giving this quarterback time in the pocket. You, he's throwing accurately. Um, you know, he's not lighting it up, but he's doing very well, you know, for, for what we've in comparison, what we've seen. And, Raga Ini was looking good. I mean, they were having, you know, receivers actually coming down with the ball. I, I do not recognize this offense. Um, Brian Ferentz, uh, I guess maybe does he save his job now? Is he staying around? I don't know. Um. Oh, wow. That would be wild. That would be wild if they got hot down the stretch and it was like, just kidding. He's back. Yeah, I know. Come on, Iowa fans. Look, look what's happening. Like, don't, isn't that what you want? Like, he's doing it. <laughs> there's no way after how public they made that there's no way they <laughs> no. Can go back on it i don't think 
but it is but you know good for him for opening things up a little yeah. bit and yeah, having for real success. yeah but i but you know again but but overall you know yeah this is just the iowa iowa doing what iowa does as always they you know their defense was of course at lights out yeah um and you know iowa did just a they were just above average and that will win them games every time because of that that defense and those special teams like in the special teams like it's it's just what they do and they finally got enough of an offensive game here that against a good defense too Rutgers is a good defense and so I was very impressed and so you know I I think the best thing that we saw here for me was the offensive line and Yes. giving Hill that time to really make those decisions and throw an accurate ball and making holes in the run game too. Yeah. 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 The offensive line was fantastic. I think that's what would really change the game for them here. Cause yeah. it's just, that's been an issue I think throughout not, you know, not always glaring, but it's, it's caused enough problems in the backfield and they were playing really, really, really well. So I think that's what obviously allowed that passing game to to take place. And as far as Rutgers goes, you know, it was a lot of mistakes, just tons yeah. of penalties. They just kept so shooting many penalties, you know, and, and whims that too. you know, he he didn't do a great job protecting the ball. Um, yeah. And so and, and yeah, and, and talking about the defense, which wasn't what we're used to seeing with this Rutgers defense, the secondary just didn't show up very well and they just couldn't get the pass rush going and all credit to, which is again, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And all so, credit yeah. to um, Iowa's O-line, but uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, Rutgers was out of sync today for sure. Or yesterday. Yeah. So that's my next question. Iowa not only ran the ball, but they found a bit of a passing game. Is that passing game a one week wonder or will Iowa be able to sustain success and have a passing attack going forward? Because if Iowa has a passing attack, they are a much more dangerous team than we've seen. Absolutely. Um, So that'll be something to track to see if that passing attack carries over into their next game. Mm hmm. Uh, well, that's that's what's been said for for a couple of years now when it comes to Iowa is like if they just were able to have an above average and we've seen these Iowa teams where they have like just an above average offense and they're amazing. They're incredible because, you know, obviously their defense and special teams are elite. So if they can somehow get to that point throughout the stretch the rest of the season and, you know, they could look pretty impressive and, and continue to gain some of that momentum. Yeah, I agree. And Rutgers, I don't know. I mean, they just are a team where if Kyle Manungai is shut down, he's shut down. Yep. Like, they just got to figure out how to get him going next week. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. With the win, Iowa goes to 8-2. and two. With the loss, Rutgers drops to 6-4. and four. So still in pretty good shape for the Scarlet Knights. Absolutely. All right, next up, we have the Purdue Boilermakers 49, the Minnesota Golden Gophers 30. Total yards, Purdue had 604 to Minnesota's 407. Um, If you're wondering what happened, like this score dropped from outer space, it kind of did. This came sort of out of the blue and was a little bit of a shock to your podcasters here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say off the bat, not to not, we'll get into all the criticism and things. Minnesota did have a couple key injuries to already injured positions at DB and most importantly at linebacker, where they had two guys at the same position out again after already having injuries at that position. So because of this, the Gophers were playing guys who are young and have never played before. Um, to say it got ugly was an understatement. Purdue just kept attacking linebackers in the running game and targeting the weak links in the secondary. And that is how this game got way out of hand. Uh, Purdue QB Hudson Card at 251 yards passing on 10 yards per attempt, three TDs, and a QBR of 94.2. So a monster game for him. Devin Mockaby and Tyrone Tracy both went well over 100 yards against this MASH unit playing defense for Minnesota. Uh, Garrett Miller had six catches for 65 yards and a TD, while Deion Burks had four for 60 and a TD. 
For Minnesota, QB Ethan Kaliak Manis went just 18 for 42 for 292 yards on seven yards per attempt, three TDs, and zero picks, QBR of 56.7. Jordan Newbin had 89 yards rushing for Minnesota on 5.6 yards per rush, and Zach Evans started the game but got hurt once again. So Minnesota continues to be on running back five in these games. And I love Jordan Newman, but you need multiple options at running back. And right now, Minnesota just doesn't have multiple options at running back. They have yep. one option at running back, and that's it. Uh, finally, wide receiver Daniel Jackson had a nice day with seven catches for 119 yards on 17 yards per catch. While Chris Ottman-Bell and Brevin Spanford both caught TD passes. John, what did you think about this game? Well, I'm going to just kind of start with Purdue. Yeah, let's start um, with Purdue. We should. They deserve it. Uh, you know, I've been saying all season, and I think and you, you've been in agreement that Hudson Card, is a, he's a gamer. He just he needed to just have that game where his offensive line was able to provide enough protection and give him the ability to make some decision, decisions in the pocket <clears throat> and to have his receivers down, down the field to make some plays. And this was that game, um, yep. very much so. And also Purdue's defense um, showing up big too. And uh, I just, I had this feeling um, last week, you know, because as I think both of us were going to, you know, believing that this would be a close game, but that Minnesota would somehow pull this out because of just where, how Purdue has been playing as of late. But I just, I had this feeling I'm like, but this will be the game that they get it together. And they did. Um, and then some, and it's, it's tough for, as a gopher fan, but as a Purdue Boilermaker fan, you know, you've got, <clears throat> this is really, and honestly, what, what this makes me, I'm glad for Hudson card. Like he needed, he, he needed a game like this to show that he really is as good as I think what, what people have touted him to be for a long time. And, and he, he showed it, he showed how talented he is. He deserved all the preseason hype. Um, you know, I, it's just unfortunate that, uh, for most of the season, he just didn't have a lot of help from his receivers and especially his, uh, offensive line, but there you have it. If he has that protection, this is how well he can play. And he also makes plays with his legs. I mean, he is just so dangerous on so many levels. So, and they ran the game They They ran the ball really well too. <clears throat> Maccabee and Tyrone Tracy were just lights out. They were finding holes left and right. The offensive line was making amazing blocks. It was just, everything was clicking for Purdue uh, and, and the entire game from start to finish. So um, good on you. Boilermakers, uh, I was very, very impressed. Yeah, you got to give credit to Purdue. Um, they came out, they had a game plan, they executed it, they found very little resistance. Mm -hmm. But they got the job done, Absolutely. and they won, and they executed, and they won big. Yeah, and then there's Minnesota. And then there's Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, at this point, you know, I and mean, we can talk about the players and we can talk about, you know, how, how they executed and things like that, which, you know, it wasn't great overall. There were some flashes here and there. It was nice to see Chris Ottman Bell get back in there and, and make the plays that were, we've seen him make in the past. Um, and Daniel Jackson getting his, which he seems to always get, and Brevin Spanford yeah. as well. <clears throat> and, you know, Ethan had a few impressive passes in there, but just not nearly enough. And like you said, with the running game, dude, like I, I we're it. Minnesota is just so banged up in, in that, in the backfield. And, and, uh, <clears throat> without Darius or Zach, um, healthy, you just, there's no one else you can turn to because you can't, you All can't right. trust Sean Tyler. So, yeah, so you can't trust Sean Tyler and Jordan Newbin is a fine, is a fine player. Mm -hmm. Um, but you need, you can't just ride one running back and you need a guy and they just, you know, Darius Taylor was frankly Minnesota's most dynamic running back Yep. and Zach Evans was Minnesota's second most dynamic running back. And they are really, really missing those guys being yeah. at full strength and being able to contribute. Yeah. But to be honest, the biggest surprise of all of this, and I think it's been the biggest surprise of the whole season is the Gophers defense. I don't even know what to say. I, I'm just like taken aback and, and a loss for words of what's going on there. I mean, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at what we watch. It's this is a 
I never thought we would see a Joe Rossi coach defense. Joe Rossi, who has basically been good to put up either a top 10 defense at best or a top 25 defense at worst. Pretty much every year he's been here. Yep. Um, so for his defense to not only struggle the way it is, but to be getting worse at this time of the year, because the one thing about PJ Fleck teams that we've always had is that PJ Fleck teams have always gotten better as the year goes on. Yeah. And so you can say, yeah, maybe they started slow, but by November, those gophers, they're really tough, you know, and they build along the way. And this team's going the opposite direction. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I'm not sure what to say. You know, I, I'm I guess like the bright spot that I'm still seeing is that the defensive line and our edge rushers are doing really well still. But like, it's just not enough that our set because our linebackers and our secondary uh, like entirely has just been awful other than Tyler Newbin, you know, but like he can't he can't do everything. He tries. Yes. And sometimes it burns us. But like, at least he's out there playing his heart out and he's getting some stuff done here and there. But I don't know, man. I am not sure. I'm I'm just totally at a loss for words with what's going on. I expected Minnesota's offense to maybe, you know, have a lot of ups and downs throughout the season, um, which they have, obviously. But the defense was just something I didn't have on my bingo card. I mean, Lindenberg was out. And then once Maverick got hurt, like our linebackers were literally finding blockers. Like linebackers are supposed to shed blockers. Our linebackers were just finding blockers on every single play, like mm-hmm. running to the blocker, giving the blocker a good angle, getting blocked out. Yep. And that's what happens when you put out, when you throw out true freshmen who you weren't planning to play, but you've had four or five injuries at linebacker, you know? Yeah. And so that, you know, in a sense, I feel bad. Like in a sense, I, injuries just kind of happen right yeah and so when you get decimated at one or two positions it can make you look like a lot worse of a football coach than you actually are Mm -hmm. but at the same time these guys get paid an enormous amount of money to have people ready to play and the bottom line is that on saturday pj fleck did not have this team ready to play. And even if you argue about all the injuries at linebacker, it doesn't explain the coverage. And yes, there was one starter out in the secondary, but I don't think that explains all of the coverage bust in the secondary. No, because generally either you're giving up a lot of rushing yards or you're having a bunch of coverage busts. Like you shouldn't be having, giving up a bunch of rushing yards and having a bunch of coverage busts. Mm hmm. It was just a total breakdown from start to finish. And they just weren't ready to play. They full no. out weren't ready to play. And that's what's frustrating. And I think that's why I'm sure all our non Minnesota listeners right now, you know, this is this is we're going through this is therapy essentially. But they they were not ready to play. The PJ did not field a team that was ready to compete last night at a high level. Yep. And again, you know, which we've talked about before, you know, I'm looking at this season and you know in its entirety i know a lot of people want to go after the offensive coordinator and and point fingers at all that because that's always the easy scapegoat and like we just talked about a another head coach that likes to go through offensive coordinators pretty quickly um this is another one yeah yeah this is this is a similar situation in a way um you know, I understand Penn State, you know, develop, they have, you know, the talent level is, is on another level there, but still it's, it's, this is what a head coach can do with like the, the too much control and not willing to delegate, you know, responsibilities and take their hand off the wheel just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to figure out how to make some decisions better. Um, so this is, I mean, this is Minnesota is actually in danger of missing a bowl game. Yep. And that game against Wisconsin is going to be for a bowl game at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So the Gophers had better find a way to get some guys healthy in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota holds out guys against Ohio State just to try to have people healthy for Wisconsin. Oh, no, honestly. And, and part of me wants them to. I mean, I hate that. I hate saying that. I really I hate do. Saying that. Hate but saying. like at the same time, like it's it's just like if you all we can't afford to hurt minnesota can't afford to like hurt anybody else like we and against that ohio God. state defense are you kidding me like 
no, <laughs> like, like just reserve what you got to do. Just you're fighting for bowl eligibility eligibility at this point in time. You have a real shot against this Wisconsin team. Um, you know, if they can put Darius back on the field and get that defense, you know, relatively healthy again, you know, there's, there's a chance. Yeah. But I don't want to see D I, I frankly don't want to see Darius running up against that Ohio state defensive line. I don't want to see it. No, no, we, they need him back for, they need Darius. If he's going to come back this year, they need him back for Wisconsin. That's when they need him to come back and shine. Yep. Wow. All right. With the win, the Purdue Boilermakers go to three and seven. And with the loss, the Minnesota Golden Gophers drop to five and five. All right. Next up, we've got the Northwestern Wildcats 24, the Wisconsin Badgers 10. Total yards, Northwestern had 324 to Wisconsin's 341. Um, both teams threw the ball okay, but neither team ran the ball very well. For a Northwestern QB, Ben Bryant was 18 for 26 for 195 yards on 7.5 yards per attempt, two TDs, two TDs and zero picks. Cam Porter had an all right day running the ball with 72 yards and four yards per rush. That's a lot better than what he's been able to do behind this offensive line most games this year. So I think that was definitely a plus for Northwestern. And Bryce Gallagher had 10 tackles for the Cats. For Wisconsin, Tanner Mordecai made his return at QB and went 31 for 45 for 255 yards on 5.7 yards per attempt, QBR of just 44.4. Uh, Cade Iacomelli had nine carries for 47 yards for 5.2 yards per rush, but Wisconsin got behind and had to focus on the passing game and not the running game in order to get try to get back into the game. Uh, Will Pauling had 96 yards receiving. For Wisconsin, well, Vinny Anthony added three catches for 47 yards. Wisconsin coach Luke Fickle called the performance, quote, embarrassing. I'll take the blame for not having guys ready in any phase of the game, close quote. John, what are your thoughts about this game? <clears throat> uh, Northwestern needs to hire. Um, he they need to hire their head coach like full, yesterday full, full like yesterday. yesterday they need to hire him as a as a <clears throat> as the full-time head coach yeah yeah i mean it's amazing what they're doing this is incredible um after everything this this program <laughs> went through uh before the season and to come out like they have uh and they're getting better um yeah man um you got to hire this guy like like now uh northwestern was supposed to go 2 and 10 and here yeah. they are. Yeah. Here they are. They could come in second place in the West potentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's wild what they what they're accomplishing with an interim staff. I just I never thought it was even possible. No. But this is what Northwestern does, though. I feel like there's there's some voodoo going on in, in Evanston as well. Man. Fitz left the magic behind. I, he must he have maybe. magic bean. He handed it <laughs> off to David Braun. Said, "Here's the magic bean." He had to have right. <laughs> it's crazy uh yeah but like the northwestern i mean i think that like what i saw obviously having bryant back you know and sullivan has, has been playing well but having bryant back was great um obviously and i think you know even though northwestern wasn't able to run the ball super effectively they did enough they got cam porter going enough and he broke some big plays and it kept that wisconsin defense in check yeah. And Bryant was accurate, man. I mean, he was so accurate. Really had, accurate. He had all kinds of time in the pocket that Wisconsin defensive line could not get pressure on him. No. Nope. And they during the first half, Northwestern's offense was doing whatever they wanted to do. And I was just I, I didn't I couldn't believe what I was seeing, essentially. Um Northwestern just really came out with guns a blazing and defensively they were sound on all fronts. Like they just looked fantastic. They had, they were getting to the quarterback. They were, their tackling was great. They were swarming to the ball, multiple defenders just showing up every single time um, that the ball, you know, uh, came close to a Wisconsin receiver. Um, I was just, this, this team was out to, to get it and to win. And they really did like with, in a, in a big way, they made a big, big statement here and Wisconsin, man, I, you know, wow. I know Mordecai is still, he still might be a little hurt. Um, 
you know, but he still, he looked inconsistent at times again, but he looked inconsistent before he got hurt. And, you know, I, I know he's, he's dangerous, but he's dangerous with, with his legs, which is, so he was able to make some things happen there when he was scrambling and, but to have the only touchdown the entire game be a garbage time TD at the end of the game for a Wisconsin team against this Northwestern team, man, I don't know. And the defense, the Wisconsin defense, like I, I, I felt this way at the beginning of the season and it's unfortunately in some ways gotten worse is there definitely gotten worse. Their tackling is just horrible. Yeah. And their second level coverage is just, it's just bad. It's just bad, man. And, and their D line isn't effective. This is not, I understand that this is obviously not a Jim Leonard, uh, ran defense, but like, I am not seeing, the traditional Wisconsin defenses that 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 we're used to seeing—it's just not there at all. They're getting beat by wide receivers, and yes, they shored up a little bit in the second half, but just still, they look totally out of sync. Not what we're used to seeing at all. To come out in such a slow start like that is just ridiculous, mm-hmm. and I just—I wonder why Wisconsin came out to such such a slow start. Um. Wisconsin continues to have a hard time without a healthy Braylon Allen available too. Yeah. Allen played, but he only got three carries, which makes me think he got banged up during the game or is already banged up coming into the game or both. Right. Yep. And it seems like without a healthy Allen, Wisconsin is a pass first team. And right now that passing game is not providing enough dividends to make the offense work as a pass first offense. Yep. It's, it's very, uh, I didn't, think they were going to be as dependent on Allen as they are. I thought Mordecai was going to be able to be more effective this year and their passing game with DK and um, to be able to put up more yards, but it's just, it's not happening, man. And their defense is not helping them out at all. I mean, Waller no. is, is the bright spot. Obviously he's yeah, great, he's great. And, but again, you know, you can't have one guy um, being able to make it all happen and without any help, especially at that defensive line, it's that's tough, man. So, yeah, it's 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 in a tough spot. Both uh, the border rivals, Wisconsin and Minnesota, both in a tough spot this weekend. Looking for looking for some big answers. That game, that game in two weeks, that could be for bowl eligibility. Yeah, well, in this, I don't know if people it will remember be for Minnesota. It could be for Wisconsin. Yes, yeah, Wisconsin's got a got a game next Wisconsin's week. Wisconsin's got a winnable game this week. Absolutely, um, Wisconsin could still go seven and five, but yeah, this is far from uh, this is a far cry from the pre top twenty, you know, preseason team that that we were all told is going to win the West with ease. Um, so that's it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild. We it said is. it was a rebuild, and that's not bad. And it doesn't mean it's going to fail. Luke Fickle's still yeah. a good coach. He didn't forget how to coach. It's just sometimes rebuilding takes time, especially in a league as tough as the Big Ten. Absolutely. John, here's a stat for you. Northwestern snapped a 14-game losing streak in true road games, which had been the longest active losing streak of any football bowl subdivision team. Wow. Yeah, so Northwestern doing big things. Wow. Dang. All right. Hire hire this guy. Come on. Hire him. Like yesterday, hire him. Yeah. All right. With the win, um, Northwestern goes to five and five. And with the loss, Wisconsin drops to five and five. Last up, we have the Ohio State Buckeyes, 38. The Michigan State Spartans, three. Total yards, Ohio State had 530 to Michigan State's 182. So total dominance by the Buckeyes in the, on the, as far as the stats go. Uh, Sparty was held under 100 yards rushing and under 100 yards passing. So they couldn't really get anything going offensively in either department. OSU QB Kyle McCord was an efficient 24 for 31 for 335 yards on 10.8 yards per attempt, three TDs and zero picks and a QBR of 98.1. Travion Henderson at 63 yards rushing on 4.8 yards per attempt and a touchdown. And Marvin Harrison was unreal. Seven catches, 149 yards, 21.3 yards per attempt, two TDs. And he had the first TD of the game, which was a rushing TV. Marvin Harrison was unstoppable as he scored touchdowns on Ohio State's first three drives. 
He had the first TD on that reverse handoff and the next two on catches to give him to put Ohio State up 21 nothing. Um Marvin, yeah. Dude. Tight end Cade Stover also had a nice day with seven catches for 79 yards and a TD. Uh linebacker Cody Simon had five tackles with one pass defended. For Michigan State, Caden Hauser was 12 of 24 for 92 yards and anemic 3.8 yards per attempt, zero TDs and zero interceptions, a QBR of just 27.7. Nathan Carter had 52 yards on 4.7 yards per rush, but it wasn't enough for Sparty to keep pace in this game. And nobody had a standout day in the Michigan State receiving core. Um, Ohio State's D got a lot of pressure, which made it hard for Michigan State to do absolutely anything. John, what were your thoughts on this game? I mean, you know, you already talked about it, but like I you just can't not talk about how amazing Marvison Harrison Jr. is. Like I have to say something and what he does. Yes. And the guy just has amazing body control. His route running is just incredible. I, I there's he can do no wrong from what I've seen so far. It's very rare he makes a mistake. And McCord was just dropping dimes. You know, Stover was fantastic. Essentially, the Ohio State offense was doing whatever they wanted at will. Yeah. <clears throat> and and then their run game, you know, took over and looked great in the second half. They looked they just were able to do anything they wanted to. Um, Chip Trainum looked great. Um, Travion Henderson looks fantastic. And then their defense <sighs> lights out, you know, as always, they, they're fantastic co- coverage all game. You know, Hauser had no one to throw to, and they were just punishing him to all day long. You I know, mean, that he, defensive front is so dominant for Ohio state. Oh it's my not God. one guy. It's everybody. Exactly. It's, it's definitely <clears throat> the entire unit. And Hauser was just, you could see him like throughout the game, just getting up slower and slower mm-hmm. and slower. So that's rough, man. It's a tough, tough day for him. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of he for Hauser, you know, he just wasn't very accurate and they just weren't able to get much of a run game going, obviously. And I saw Carter find some success at times. And and I think, you know, if he had a better offensive line blocking for him, he could he could make some noise. We've seen it, you know, I guess against lesser opponents, but he can do that. But yeah, man. That offense, Michigan State offense just took a beating. And also, I, the only real thing I have here for Michigan State's defense is, is how do you even defend a guy like Marvison Harrison Jr.? Like, how, how, how do you even do it? I mean, he deserves, Marvin Harrison deserves to be a Heisman finalist at the very least. Absolutely. And after another spectacular three TD performance where he exhibited the whole range of his skill set, I think he should win the Heisman trophy. Yeah. I don't see, I think it's one of those years. There's a lot of candidates you can make arguments for. Marvin Harrison is the best offensive player on an undefeated, you know, big 10 contending team. Absolutely. I agree, man. And I I don't know how you can, how you can argue against it. I, he's just, he's the most elite player I've seen in college football this year. One of the smoothest athletes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the way he does everything and he is so fat, he's so sudden, but it doesn't, it's not choppy at all. Mm -mm. It's just, yeah, it's, I mean, it's poetry. That dude is, dude is ridiculous. And he's tough too. He'll run, he'll run you over too. He's ran over defenders. He's tough to take down. Like he, he's the complete package. Yeah. I, the combination of Travion, what I wrote down is the combination of Travion Henderson and Marvin Harrison just gives the Buckeye so much speed it's hard for other teams to match up. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm running out of superlatives for this Buckeyes team, and you know what? They're getting better, and I think Kyle McCord's getting better. Yeah, he is. And if he's going to continue improving, then look out college football world as we round into this end of the season because mm-hmm. these Buckeyes. Here's the other thing. The Buckeyes are almost assuredly going to be jumped by um, in the polls on Tuesday when the new college football playoff rankings come out. They're for sure going to be jumped by Georgia and they might be jumped by Michigan. Yeah. And here you have this razor sharp Ohio state team that is just wrecking everything in its path. And now you're going to disrespect them publicly. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I would hate to be Ohio state's next opponent. Yeah. 
I would too. And who do they play next week? Oh God, uh, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> Hate to be those guys. Yeah, that I don't know, weird. man. I, I might like just, I, I hope, I might not be, uh, be able to watch that, watch and see, you know, next Saturday and see what, what's who they end up playing. But you know, um, yeah, I might be in the middle of too much work or something like that. But uh, yeah, dude, I don't know. Yeah, it's gonna be brutal. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Ohio State. No, they're amazing. We can, we can, uh, Ohio State's amazing. I think they deserve to be the number one team in the country. I think Michigan also probably deserves that. So there's a 1A, 1B. I don't know who's got the better resume. They both beat Penn State about the same. Yeah. Um, I thought those were very similar games, the Ohio State-Penn State game and the Michigan-Penn State game. So I'd be okay with either one of those teams being number one or two. I guess I'm okay with Georgia being number one or two also, but those are the top three teams for sure. I think. Yeah. I mean, Ohio state has a slightly better resume since they played Notre Dame, but yeah, still, you know, it's hard. It's really, really tough. Absolutely. Uh, with the win, Ohio state goes to 10 and O and with the loss, Michigan state drops to three and seven. All right, John. Here we are. We got through all the games. We managed to make it through. I wasn't sure if we were gonna. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say before we get out of here? Well, um, don't expect us to be very happy and excited uh, next week either in some respects. (laughs) No, you're right. We were a little down this week. I mean, we're excited to do the pod always. 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 Always excited to do the pod, but as a college football fans, a little down last week, and we're almost assuredly going to be a little down next week, but maybe that's what you're tuning in for. Maybe you're tuning in to take <laughs> pleasure, that schadenfreude, to take pleasure in our pain. And if so, you know, whatever brings you to the podcast, whatever makes you want to listen, I'm happy with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, rate, review that we appreciate it. As long as you do that, if you enjoy our, like, you know, our misery, please, by all means, keep tuning in because you'll get more next week probably. So, hey. There you go. But yes, um, as always, again, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at we live for b one gsat You can also give us an email, mailbag questions. We're still looking for that. Send us whatever you got. It's we live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. And shout out to those of you who commented on our Spotify episodes. I love them. I actually just discovered that we could, that you could comment and that people were commenting. So mm-hmm. appreciate that. All the shout outs we got. That's uh, that's always a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening to We Live for Saturday. I am your co-host, Mike. With me, as always, your co-host, John. John, what do you have to say to the people? Everyone, you have a great week. We'll see you next, next weekend. All right, everybody, take care.